Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. This is Amish Baby Machine. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast, starring me, Dags. The Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast is powerful. And by the way, Johnny Rage is on assignment. And speaking of powerful, across this powerful oaken desk is the austere Dan Simon. Hey, Dags. So glad to be here. Sorry, Johnny Rage couldn't make it. I'm a little worried about him. I don't know what's up with that guy. He's spending time with his family. Oh, okay. Well, that's lovely. They always say that when people get fired, they're spending time. <laughs> he wanted to spend more time with his family. No, is he fired? He's not fired. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I want to meet that guy. Although I am concerned that there may be some conflict between the two of you. The, the vibes I'm picking up makes me think maybe you could use a little transformative mediation. You and Johnny Rage, you know, clear the air, clear up the misunderstandings, improve the vibes. By the way, Dan Simon, a man that needs an introduction. Thank you. Tell him what you are. Well, I'm a transformative mediator, Dags, and you've always been kind to let me run my mouth about what I do. It's uh, beautiful work. I help people who have any sort of conflict sit down and talk about it, clear the air, um, come to some kind of understanding, often make a plan that helps them uh, settle a lawsuit or not start a lawsuit in the first place. And I love doing it. And as I was telling you before we started today, I'm working on a book for mediators about kind of how to do it better. So that's my thing. Powerful. We have a powerful episode today. Me and Dan Simon enjoyed a cinema, a movie, we did. a flick. We did. Joker. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the powerful book that you have coming out. Thank you. Looking forward to that. Also, I noticed you were uh, smelling the smells today of the delicious coffee in the house, the barn, did. The wafting tail, aromas. The tail wagger blend. That's, now, I gather that this, uh, this roaster has a variety of flavors and tail wagger is just one of them? Or... Right now, they're dropping a medium roast, the Tailwager blend. Okay. I'm going to need you to go to alaskadogworks.com, pick it up. Mm. Delicious blend. It's uh, Use their powerful coupon code. Is a coupon or a coupon? I, I can go either way on that. Use their tomato coupon code, Amish Baby Machine. I'll tell you, it smells good. I, I haven't actually tasted it, I have to admit, but it Smell smells. it one more time. Yeah. All right, right now he's smelling it. Oh, yeah. Tailwagger, good name. Remember in chemistry class, you're not supposed to directly smell. You're supposed to use your hand to oh, waft, that's right. waft the odors. Okay, I yes. think it's safe. I think it's okay. You did a, I, you think you're all right? I went straight, straight to the nostrils, but oh I, my I think God. it's okay. Yep. Reminds me of the 80s. Powerful <laughs> tail, Tailwagger blend, alaskadogworks.com. Check it out. Tell them Amish Baby Machine sent you in the coupon code. Mm. Coupon. Oh, Dan Simon? Yeah. Powerful Halloween Eve Eve. Yeah, I'm excited. I got a shipment of Milky Way bars for the kids today. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Halloween. Tell everyone the fans of Flock of Amish, God, we love the Flock. Mm. Tell love them the about flock. how you enjoy your Halloween. 
Well, the plan is to hang out at the house and, and let the kids uh, ring the doorbell. And uh, I make them say the thing. Sometimes the little kids forget to say trick or treat. And so I just stand there and look at them until they figure out they have a line to say. And then, of course, I respond by, by passing out the treats. And I pass out the full-sized candy bars. I'm, I'm not going to give away my address. But the kids in my neighborhood, I, they've learned that they get the full-sized candy bar at my house. Um, and it's Milky Ways this year. How did you uh, uh, decide on Milky Way? Amazon.com. A little, little uh, shopping there revealed that that was the one I could get for a little under 50 cents per, per unit. So I think the, the M&Ms would have been like 75 cents each. Whoa. Yeah. Cost. And I, I love Milky Ways. I always liked Milky Ways. It, that's your go-to candy bar, Milky Way? I mean, it always was when I was a kid. It's got, you know, those three flavors. Nougat, caramel, and chocolate. How is the nougat? <laughs> what is nougat? It's creamy. Okay, yeah. It's I like mean, Retson. What is Retson? What is that? You don't hear about Retson anymore. You it's, don't. We're bringing it back. We're bringing yeah, Retson back. back. Certs. Certs with Retson. Yeah, I mean, the idea was that Retson was something powerful, but but they just implied that by saying certs with Retson, and you're supposed to be excited that it has it, although you had no way of knowing that it was something powerful other than by that very, very ad. How about Sucrets? Oh, remember those? Yep. That was a thing. You could use that little metal case to carry whatever you wanted. I knew some kids who used to carry joints, you know, marijuana cigarettes in there. Whoa. Yep. I knew those kids. Sucrets. Now yeah. it's uh, the deltoids can, isn't it? The, <laughs> what is that? The, the quads? Uh, what the is al- Altoids. Alt- quadriceps. Uh, yeah. What is that? The pectoris, pectoralis major? Yeah. Minor. Yeah. The big, big dipper, little dipper. Powerful tins to carry your stuff. Latissimus dorsis. Whoa. Yeah. Dan Simon is back. How about the Joker? You're back. Get it? The back? <laughs> I get it. Powerful. I didn't get it. The Joker. First. Yes, yeah. let's talk about the Joker. I also yeah. want to tell the fans of Flock of Amish how they can help support this powerful podcast. Ah, good idea. The first way is to enjoy the Tailwagger Blend coffee. Go to alaskadogworks.com. Mm. Also merch. Oh, my God. Dan Simon, tell them about the merch, that, that powerful merch that you enjoy. Well, you know, my favorite is the T-shirt. You can wear it. You can, you can wear it. And uh, I just saw that video that was produced that that high-end slick video with a lot of attractive people wearing the, the T-shirt. Powerful. Where can people see that, that video? I mean, I think they should watch that for starters. That'll get them. Yes. I think what you're going to need to do is follow us on Twitter at Amish Bee Machine, like our Facebook page, subscribe to YouTube, powerful YouTube videos. We're everywhere on the internets. And wherever you enjoy podcasts, please leave a review, Dan Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Reviews and friends. Help. Reviews help. Five stars is the ultimate review. If you leave a five-star review, you will unlock the secrets to creamy nougat. Mm. Powerful. Also, Patreon, patreon.com. We also have a link on our page, AmishBabyMachine.com. You can help support this powerful podcast. But I think merch. Merch is huge. I got mugs, T-shirts, stickers. The kids love stickers. Stickers. Stickers are big right now. Why are stickers so much fun, Dan? They're huge right now. I mean, I guess you can put them anywhere. I'm curious, though, what the most popular merch is. Is it the T-shirt? Because I, I would say the black T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful look. Now, Dan Simon, you have the powerful, like, an army green. I do. 
it's also, powerful. Also powerful. It, yeah. it goes good with your flesh tones. That's why I picked it. Thank you. And I think you can see probably a photo on your Twitter feed of me. Uh, yes. At Amish Bee Machine. And let the kids know what your Twitter feed is. What is your handle, Dan Simon? Oh, man. Is it Mediator Dan? I think it's Mediator Dan. Yeah, pretty sure that's what it is. It's not Tweety anymore. No, that's right. Tweety Mediator. It was at first. I thought that was clever. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Now, Dan Simon, you got a little bit into uh, yeah. the mediation business. Yeah. Tell the kids what it's about. Okay. And then I also want to uh, segue Scooter into your book. Okay, thank you. Well, so I'm sure the kids have conflict with somebody. We all have it with somebody, a landlord, uh, an ex-spouse, a sibling, um, a business partner, somebody who has uh, done you wrong in some kind of business venture. We all have these sorts of things in our lives. And uh, the ones that are significant enough that you really want to do something about to improve things are the ones I help with. So, for example, if it's gotten to the point where you're thinking about uh, getting lawyers involved, or worst case, you've already got lawyers involved, that's where another path you can take is you call me, and I sit down with everybody, and you talk about it, and you have a conversation. Um, a lot of times people are hesitant to do it because they already think the other person is such an asshole that there's no point, and they think they'd rather have their lawyer kind of scare the other person into some kind of compromise. And often it's not till a couple years later that they realize that that just caused the other person to get a lawyer and try to scare you back and the lawyers cashed in and you never got a satisfactory result. So we go straight to the heart of the matter and help you have the conversation. You know, no matter how bad the other person seems, the truth is, and it's hard to believe this at, at certain moments, but the truth is everybody would rather not be an asshole. They think they need to be an asshole because they think you're an asshole. And so when you get two people in the same room, the fact that people would really rather be decent and kind and generous comes out. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, you know, um, it's at one level, there's probably some money involved, but people feel very differently about money depending on how they feel about each other. You feel like you're getting screwed by somebody, disrespected by somebody, then you want your money back. Um, if you feel like you're being treated decently, that tends to soften you up and you actually want to be kind. We actually all feel better when we're being kind and generous and that sort of thing. So we get in these situations where we don't feel like we can be that way because we're going to be taken advantage of. What happens when I get in the room with people and part of, part of what happens when I'm there is that you know that, that I'm not a judge and so you don't have to convince me of anything. You don't have to argue your case to me. Instead, you can look right at the other person and you know you can look at me if it's too awkward to look at the other person. But You are quite handsome. Thank you. You can enjoy my face, talk to me about the story, and you can kind of speak from your heart and you don't have to spin it. You can even acknowledge that, you know, maybe I overreacted that time. Maybe when we talked about it before, I got a little harsh, but dude, you really insulted me. And already you're starting to soften and starting to see it differently. The other person softens and you figure something out and you both walk away happy. It happens all the time. Um, last week I worked with a homeowner and a contractor. Um, bunch of misunderstandings had emerged. The homeowners thought the contractor was screwing them. They thought the contractor wasn't paying uh, the subcontractors. That was largely just a misunderstanding. But when they confronted the contractor, he really blew up and started being pretty harsh to them. So then they were just convinced he was an asshole. But we get everybody in the room. They talk about it. They clear it up. They come up with a deal. Um, he ended up paying them back some money uh, because he had they had paid him in advance to do some work that hadn't been done yet. Uh, but they walked away realizing that, okay, the other side wasn't quite as bad as we thought. 
and we have a deal. And we don't have to sue. I mean, before they called me, they were thinking the other choice was to get lawyers involved and start a lawsuit. We saved them a bundle. You know, it cost them just a few hundred bucks each, really, to, to work with me. And they figured it out. And so that's what I do. I love doing it. Anybody who has any kind of conflict should call me. Uh, transformativemediation.com is the website. You'll see there my phone number. You'll see there you can set up a 15-minute consultation with me on the website. And we can talk on the phone about your situation. And uh, I can do it anywhere. As, as you know, I'm here in Amish country or the Twin Cities. But these things can be done on video conference, so I can do it anywhere in the world. Uh, and I love doing it. So people should call me even if they just want to talk about their situation and find out if I can help. What is conflict? Is it inevitable? Is it a human condition? Do animals have conflict? What is it? Is it a defense mechanism? I need yeah. to know. Yeah. Well, you're right. It's complicated. There are different ways to look at it. To me, it is absolutely a natural part of life. Uh, people have different perspectives, different needs, and we want different things. And so the question really is, do we handle it constructively or destructively? Uh, sometimes it escalates and it turns into violence or lawsuits. Other times it can be handled in a way that, that is more likely to get you what you want and more likely to have you feel like you're living up to your, your values. Uh, you know, nobody likes having to get harsh and mean to another human being. We're all happier when we are able to take good care of ourselves, but also that helps us see the way to being kind to each other. And that's just, you know, you're happier when you're being kind and generous. It's hard to figure out how to get there when you're in conflict, uh, but it can be done. So conflict is inevitable, but how you handle it can be adjusted and can be done constructively. Now, what are, what are some tips on conflict? Like if, if some, if someone is coming at you hard, do you naturally drop it down a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, you know, what one aspect of it is to be aware that you can only control your side of it. So kind of let, letting go of the idea that you can make the other person behave a certain way. Usually, usually it's kind of counterproductive to try to get somebody else to do something. So just being aware that you have all the choices in the world about how to respond. So a lot of times it does involve, you know, it's, it's kind of old wisdom that you should count to 10 before you respond when you're angry. There's something to that, that just taking some time to get clear and to not be reactive. But at the same time, you absolutely have to take care of yourself. And so it's never about caving or giving in or being a doormat. Um, it's about getting clear about what you need. And then it's about uh, communicating that to the other person. I mean, in extreme cases, there are these other resources you can go to. The legal system is there for you in the extreme case. And you should never totally rule out going there if you need to. Uh, but most often it's about getting clear yourself about what you need, communicating that. Also, this thing where once you're calmer and not freaking out as much, you can pay attention to the other person to the extent you can genuinely say, okay, I get it. Oh, I, I understand. I mean, to the extent you can really mean that. I see. So, uh, you know, when, when, I, when I came at you a few minutes ago, you thought I was, I was being harsh and, and freaked you out. I see. You know, acknowledging you're part of it. Um, Ultimately, it's about taking care of both yourself and the other person. Uh, and it's, you know, every situation is different. So uh, it's about figuring out what that means in any certain situation. Powerful advice. I wanted to get into the actual book. Are you writing oh, yeah. this book for the layman? Or are you writing it for the person that's in the business of mediation? The, the first, the book I'm working on now, and I have plans for, for more books after this, but this one is for mediators. 
Uh, there are some common, but I think lay people will be interested in, in the difference between different approaches to mediation. Uh, mediation, I think, is widely misunderstood, including by a lot of mediators, where a lot of them see their role as being very similar to a judge, and they still see themselves as authority figures, and they think their job is to kind of guide people and push people and nudge them toward compromising. That, of course, feels horrible to the clients. The clients, the last thing they want is someone to tell them they should be nicer or tell them, uh, you know, I was a little hesitant to give my advice a minute ago because in the moment when you're feeling attacked, you don't want to hear somebody say, well, think about the other side. That's, you know, that sort of advice doesn't work in the moment. People need a non-judgmental, supportive situation. And so the art of mediation that I'm talking about is all about client self-determination. That's the lingo that we use to explain that. What does that mean? It means the client is really genuinely making their own choices about what to do. The mediator is just providing the place, the space, the support to have the conversation. And the mediator doesn't know that you should be nicer to each other. The mediator doesn't know that you should be harsher to each other. The mediator pays attention to what's happening and basically gives you the room to do what you need to do and figure it out for yourself. Let me ask you this. When the clients see you, what do they think you, do they think you're an authority figure? Do they speak differently, better, worse when they see you? Do they think that, oh, I wonder if he's thinking this and then he's going to say that? I mean, I think you're right that there's a little bit of that, that they, I think the effect it has is that they basically step up and be their best selves a little bit. Um, but they quickly realize that I'm not going to judge them, that if they want to say the harshest things in the world about the other side, I'm going to be right there with them. Okay, so you're saying he's a complete asshole, he's totally full of shit, and you don't, you don't even want to sit here in this room with him. Uh-huh, got it. And then that sort of you know, space to say that without being judged gives them the room to make shifts. And they say, you know, and on the other hand, I get how he kind of got pissed off because I did that one thing. And so, you know, and then they turn the other person and apologize for that. And already we're changing the whole dynamic just because they had the space to kind of speak freely. Do they typically have something thought out in their head, some notes they go yeah, off of? Pretty common. They, they have a, a, a case they want to make for starters. So, so sometimes what happens in the process is people do kind of shift from seeing me as any kind of judge to realizing that what I think doesn't matter. And the person who really matters is the person on the other side of the table and themselves. And they basically end up just taking more responsibility that, you know, they got to live up to their own uh, morals, their own ideas of who they want to be. And they got to deal with this other person who they are engaged in this conflict with. I mean, I think that's another uh, thing that happens when you're in conflict. You kind of forget that you really have to take the other person into consideration. It's been tough to do so. And so you just kind of hope a judge will come tell them what to do, or you kind of wish they hope they'll just go away somehow. Sitting in the room together helps you face up to the reality that, okay, no, there's a person over there who genuinely believes that I've done something wrong. Uh, I got to deal with them. I got to try to understand them. Um, I got to really face up to the reality that there is a person who I'm on this, in this situation with, and it's not going to be resolved unless they're happy. So you kind of face up to that, okay, yeah, I guess I actually have to take you seriously. At the same time, I'm not going to stop taking myself seriously. I got to figure that out. And so people basically hang in there and figure it out. Happens. You resolve conflict. Yeah. Could you give some advice to our powerful listeners? I'm not trying to take business away from you, but yeah. how do you prevent conflict? Mm. Well, I don't think it's realistic to try to prevent conflict. I think it's going to happen. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's, we all have different needs, different perspectives. Uh, we're going to bump into each other. Um, so it's more a question of how you respond once it happens. And as for how to respond once it happens, you know, as I said, it's really hard to give any generic advice because every situation is different. Um, but just kind of be aware that you yourself are part of the story. Um, if, if it's possible to notice that you yourself are freaking out a little bit and getting hyper defensive and, you know, when you start to think someone else is an asshole, that is a little bit of an indicator that you yourself have room to get to a better place. Because when we're all in our best, happiest, most calm selves, you know, we don't hold it against. Sure, there might be assholes out there, but we don't really hate them for it. We kind of cut them some slack. If you're in that moment where you're part of kind of the, the destructive cycle, you're thinking, God, that freaking asshole. So as soon as you notice that kind of thinking in your mind, that's when you have to slow down and say, okay, okay, what's going on with me? All right, apparently I'm feeling a bit uh, threatened. Ah, okay, I'm afraid this person is going to cost me a lot of money. Okay. I understand that of myself. Okay, I got to pay attention to that. I want to make sure I don't lose this money or whatever the issue is. Um, basically taking time and space to process where you are and then figure out what it means to act with the strength and compassion that we all want to act with. Uh, we all do want to take care of ourselves, and that's okay. And we also actually want to be nice to each other, too. And so it's about finding your way to that strong, compassionate place. Um, and if it's too hard to deal directly with the person, that's when you call me and, uh, you'll still get to deal directly with the person, but you'll have my help with it. And it just tends to go better. You have me there basically holding your hand and helping you do it. Now, how about groups? Have you ever worked with a groups or is it always one-on-one? -on -one? I've worked with groups up to about, I'd say 15 people is about the max that I've worked. There are other people who specialize in bigger groups, you know, bigger kind of city meetings where there's serious conflict. Uh, uh, but I've worked with groups of like 15. I've worked with business partnerships where there are about 10 people there. Uh, I worked last year with a, a neighborhood board that had, that's the one that I'm thinking had 15 people in it. And, you know, often there are just a couple factions, two, two main perspectives, but each individual in there wants to feel like they're being heard and understood. And so helping kind of provide the space for them to say what they need to say and hear each other better. Yeah, that can, that can help with it. I'm curious, what do you notice in groups? Do you notice tribalism? Do you notice there's leaders and people that, that go along with what they're saying? Is there kind of a mob rules mentality or have or, you ever broke it down like that? I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on. There, I, I stick with my basic assumption that each individual there is trying to both take care of themselves and yeah, that might involve being allied with, with some leader that might be part of their story, but they're trying to take care of themselves. And if they are feeling secure and like they're going to be taken seriously, that frees all humans up to pay attention to each other and understand each other better. And you can get this kind of virtuous cycle going where everybody's saying, you know, communicating in a way that helps everybody calm down and it can kind of spiral in the positive direction where everybody says, okay, I get it. I get it. I understand. How about we do this? No, you don't like that? Okay, how about this? And they have just a constructive conversation. Powerful. So once again, give the fans a flock of Amish, the website where the, you, they can enjoy your... Uh... Transformativemediation.com. All one word, transformativemediation.com. Um, drop me an email, give me a phone call. 
Love to help with these things. Um, if you're interested in becoming a transformative mediator yourself, I offer classes in St. Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. That's, that's interesting because you're not only helping, you know, individuals with their conflict, you're also helping educate other people yeah. to pass it on. Yeah. People love these courses. And if you have a license as a lawyer or some kind of therapist, you can get continuing education credits for my courses. But a lot of people who don't have any of those licenses uh, take the class and they find it helps them in their workplace or with their own conflicts. Um, great resume builder if you're, if you're looking for a job to be able to say that you've had this training. And so I offer those in both St. Paul and in Southern California. If people are interested in those, uh, they're fun. People love them. Um, if you go on my website, you'll see testimonials from people who have taken the course, and they all kind of rave about how it, it changed their whole perspective on, on conflict and how to help with it. Um, and it's fun. and uh, People have a great time. And if they sign up now, so my next course is until May of 2020. So if you sign up by November 1st, there's uh, serious early bird discounts for like half price. Whoa. Yep. That much I can kind of promise that people will love this training. Uh, everybody does. You get to play, do these role play exercises. We get to be in conflict and have somebody practice mediating with you. You get to practice mediating yourself. Um, the three to five days, depending on which course you take, flies by. Uh, it's fun. Now, what do you do with people that don't like to role play? Because I know that's a big thing. They, yeah. they don't want to be the center of attention. They're embarrassed. They don't want to be. How do you get around that? I mean, the, the, the big reaction people who come in with that attitude have is that it turned out it was fun and they loved it and they got into it. So yeah, people have that hesitation at first and that's natural if you're shy and, and kind of private and you don't want to uh, reveal to others what it looks like when you're in conflict. That's understandable, but that's really part of the learning. You, you, you do it anyway, and it turns out you can handle it. Dan Simon, what is your icebreaker? Ah, you know, um, do we have an icebreaker? You know, we go straight to the heart. We ask people. Whoa. Yeah, I guess I haven't thought of it as an icebreaker, but the first exercise we do is we have people think about the worst conflict that they themselves have ever been in. So we go straight to the heart of it. And everybody's got some story they're kind of ashamed of where they didn't act like themselves and they got out of control. And so they are shy about sharing it. But once you share that, you're bonded with the rest of the group and the rest of the week is, is fun. So yeah, we go right to it. Um, and then, you know, we, we discover this hopeful thing that whatever horrible conflict you were in in the past, they've generally gotten better. Like you aren't still stuck in that cycle. And so that's what we really think about deeply. How did you get out of that? What was the thing that changed? Because whatever that was, that's probably what we want to help other people do to get out of their conflicts. So we make sure we're kind of fully empathizing with what it's like to be in conflict, which we all can do because we've all had it. Now, yeah, you talk about baggage. So you have techniques to drop the baggage that they bring with them? Um, good question. Drop the baggage. I don't know. I mean, I think accepting that that we all have limitations is part of the story too. Um, we are, none of us is perfect. We all have hangups and uh, our own psychological quirks. And so maybe it's really more about managing our own issues and also having some more compassion for other people's issues. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it's about expecting us to kind of do anything perfectly ever. It's more cutting both ourselves and the other person some slack and also cutting our potential clients some slack for being who they are but still having the faith that despite whatever their baggage is, they can get to a better place. Um, you know, most people don't have a need to 
declare war on somebody and then fight to the death. Most often they can find a more constructive way to handle it. So often it's pretty inspiring and, and pretty much uh, a relief to discover that, yeah, there is a way out of this, this conflict that everybody can feel good about. What do you think about people that seem to get off on drama? You know, the mm-hmm. term drama queen. Yeah. Like I notice people that they're always on the phone and uh-huh. they're always having conversations and it's always loud. Yeah. And well, then I told him and he told me and she told me. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. They, do they want the outside person to chime in or they're always <laughs> on the phone? Always have, I, I don't have conversations on the phone. They're usually just uh, meet me here or whatever. I'll text you. But yeah. these people have these conversations. So you're overhearing it and they... Yes. Kind of act like they don't know you're overhearing it or, or they must know that you're, you're hearing it, but they apparently don't care. Yeah. I mean, I assume what's happening is they're just so focused on, on the situation that they aren't paying attention to. But let me ask you this too. I'll interrupt here. It's also on social media too. Uh huh. They go on social media. So they're actually making an effort to tell you about their drama. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think we all like to be seen and understood. And even when we're in those, uh, awkward situations, we believe that that, you know, we find it validating to have other people look at us and see what we're doing. You know, you're thinking that why would they show that? Because it doesn't make them look good, right? And they're thinking in that, mo- in that moment, they aren't paid t- paying attention to that. They're thinking, hey, I'm right about this. They're wrong. Some people will agree with me. And of course, you know, when people post something like harsh about somebody else, they'll get people supporting them saying, yeah, you're right. You go. Right. So. Yeah. Is, fuck is- him. Fuck him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But how about the yeah, but people too? <laughs> they'll have their problem. They'll right. tell you, they'll go on and on. They'll tell you the problem. And then you give them advice that you, you think makes sense. And they go, yeah. yeah, but yeah, but. Well, you know, the person who has the problem, yeah, but is a pretty natural reaction there. If they believe they're, they're, you know, if they're committed to their perspective, which you kind of naturally are when you're defensive and you're freaking out, it's pretty predictable that they will say, yeah, but. And so that's kind of part of the transformative uh, theory as the mediator, you don't give advice to anybody. Do you break them down with waterboarding, Dan? Uh, I'm open to that sort of thing. You know, you, you never know what's going to work in any particular case. Just kidding. Nope. No, none of that. Very little torture in the process. Do people ever openly weep? Oh, sure. And that's always, I'd say always progress. Yeah. Cause they're letting it all out. That's right. You're popping the pimple. They are feeling you know, they're genuinely feeling something at that point as opposed to defending themselves from it. Um, you know, crying is a part of processing things and they're c- going to come out after that cry in a different place, you know, more accepting of something or more just, yeah, more, more uh, I think that's what crying usually is. It's accepting. It's a, it's a way to accept this sad situation they're in. And then they can say, okay, I get it. I can't have everything I wanted. I just am never going to have that fantasy outcome that I imagined. Okay. Well, maybe I could have this though. And they get clearer about what's really possible. Yeah, crying is good. So you never give advice. You just, no. It's, it's really rare. I mean, I only do when I'm kind of freaking out. I, I, I have given advice in extreme situations, but I kind of look back on those as moments when I screwed up a little bit. If I'm really nailing it, it's never about advice. It's just about acknowledging where they are and where the other person is and reminding them that they get to do what's next, whatever it is. Powerful. Thank you for listening, man. I, like all people, like to be heard and understood. So thanks for giving me this chance, Dax. Yes. Yes. Always welcome in the barn. Ah, love the barn. The smells, 
the musk, everything. Do you enjoy the, the natural musk? Is that is that you? It is. <laughs> is Jovan uh, musk. Something smells, I don't know. Good isn't the word, but uh, powerful. Intoxicating. There we go. I am enjoying a, a beverage here, the Monster Mule. Ah. I talked about it on the last podcast. Okay. Do you enjoy the graphics? Look at that. Wow. Very beautiful. Yeah. Very coppery. Copper on black. Yeah. Very Do you nice. think it turns green <laughs> eventually? Yeah, well. Kind of like the dome of powerful cathedrals. I think we should leave it out and find out. I enjoy it. It's ginger. Mm. Powerful ginger. Looks good. Do you enjoy ginger? I like ginger. Powerful caffeine, I imagine, in that powerful. as well. Yes. Nice. What about that movie we saw? Do you want to talk about it? Well, you really want to get into that. I mean, I saw it. Well, I was, I was slowly doing a powerful. I'm sorry. Okay. I was doing, we were getting kind of heavy on it. We were very helpful. Yeah. And then I was going into uh, pleasure. Okay. Because I enjoy pleasure. Okay. The pleasure principle. Okay. You know what that is, right? Uh, approximately. It's a powerful album by Gary Newman. <laughs> it also has to do with psychology, too. Yeah. Didn't Freud mention it? I don't know. Yeah. Self-actualization. Well, that's a psychological well, concept. Yes. Yeah. Maslow and. Oh, we're getting deep. Saying a lot of names. Powerful. You yeah. know why I'm doing all this? Why is this? Because we're segueing into the Joker. Okay. He, he was a very disturbed man. He was. Yeah. Yeah. So like flesh that. it out for the, the fans of Flock of Amish. Well, tell us your experience. Tell us about the movie because people want to know. So, you know, maybe maybe I will take advantage of of the psychological element of it to make another point about humans in conflict. You know, yes. Part of the part of what disturbed people about that movie was that you can kind of understand from the Joker's perspective why he became violent. You see him suffering. You see him feeling like he's not taken seriously. You see him kind of downtrodden. You see him get beat up. Um, Let's uh, start from the beginning of the movie. Oh really? So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie. We're gonna powerfully integrate your powerful brain and your mm -hmm. mediation. Okay. And uh, as always, spoiler alert because we're gonna spoil it. Yeah, and this movie's been out. Yeah. And, and part of it's I don't like holding back. Yeah. I don't like that. Do you like no. that? No. No. I we like just to go speak in freely. there. Yes. Just go in there. Go Do deep. It. Do it. Well, you might have to. You might be a little sharper on the plot. That was a week ago that we saw it, but. I, I, can give, <laughs> I can give you the overall trend, as I understood the movie, that um, you learn about, about his plight, and he's, he's lonely, he's isolated, um, he winds up suffering, you know, uh, the scene where he first gets beaten up by the kids on the street, uh, you, can see the you can see the frustration building, you can see the sense of weakness. Um, you can see the thing that I do believe is, is universal when people become violent, it starts with feeling very violated themselves. I mean, it just doesn't come out of nowhere. And so the fact that he felt so powerless, so, uh, such a lack of control, such a lack of, of being seen or understood by any other humans whatsoever. Um, that ultimately led to him taking some extreme action in, a, in an effort to have an impact. And so I think that's how it works. I mean, I, I believe I kind of buy into the psychological theory of the movie that way. Now, where does the mother factor in? 
Mm. Because I notice a lot of serial killers mm-hmm. and mentally ill people have unusual relationships with their mother. Interesting. Ed Gein. Yeah, what was Ed Gein's story? I don't, I don't know about him. Powerfully. Uh, I mean, I know what he did. Domineering mother. Okay. Christian. Everything was evil. Women yeah. were wicked. Ooh. So I noticed in this movie, he would bathe his mother. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little... Dance with her. Yeah. So explain to me what you think about the mother-son relationship and what that had to do with the transformation of him turning into the Joker. I mean, I think the mother-child bond is kind of the most important experience that that a baby has in their development. And if that goes well... It, it corresponds to being what you might call emotionally healthy when you're an adult. And so if there's something screwed up, and we learned in the movie that, that uh, his mom was, well, we learned that he suffered some serious abuse from a, from a stepfather type character. We learned that his mother was hospitalized at one point when he was really young. Those are challenges. And, you know, it doesn't obviously turn everybody into uh, a killer, but... Uh, it's certainly part of the story in somebody's psychological development. If, if you had a secure, healthy relationship with your primary caregivers, um, you're going to be a more secure, more healthy person and less prone to extreme behavior. So, yeah, that that's story rang true to me on that level as well. What, what did you think? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that I noticed that the relationship with, uh, like, Charles Manson had deals with his mom. and Did he? Yep. Yeah. She was young, had him young. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, you know, I, I myself lost my mother too young. Um, and I think that's a big part of any struggles I have now, in, just in terms of self-esteem and relating to other people. That's, uh, you know, it's hard to know what causes what, but certainly my life story, I think, fits with that idea that, you know, good relationships with your mother and, and any other primary caretaker helps lead to greater emotional stability and all that stuff. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Powerful. No, it's real. Powerful, real, powerfully deep. Keep it real. Yes. Now back to the movie, The Joker. So he got attacked by the the kids because he was a sign spinner. Right. Stole the sign, beat the shit out of him. Yeah. He was a clown. What did you think of the acting of Joaquin Phoenix? That was pretty good. I thought he really went there, Um, starting with the fact that he got so skinny for the role. I mean that added. I'm skinny. <laughs> uh, that got uh, that that added to the whole vibe. Um, you know, he definitely committed to being a, an unusual character there. The way he did his laugh. If uh, people haven't seen it, that theoretically the character had a condition, a psychological condition. I guess I'm not clear on, on whether that was really truly. Uh, kind of a diagnosed thing that he had, or whether that card that he had printed up that explained that he could hand to people saying, sometimes I laugh inappropriately, whether that was just an idea he had. Uh, I have not heard of that particular diagnosis in anybody other than Joker. I should have that for the word powerful, because I randomly say powerful. Ah, you have a little Tourette's. Yes, powerful. I have powerful, yes. Yeah, powerful Tourette's. Well, yeah. So anyway, I think Joaquin did a pretty damn good job, actually. I'd say so. What, what do you think about it? No, it was cool. It was a hard movie to like because it was so, it was actually difficult to watch that movie. Yeah. Because there was a guy in front with a big Joe Biden hat <laughs> and I couldn't see over him. It was very difficult. 
That's... Now I notice how they they tied in a lot of New York stuff, yeah. Scorsese movies like The Taxi oh, yeah. Driver, right, right, including a, an appearance by De Niro in the film. Yeah. Yes. What, yeah. Did, what did you think of him on? Basically, he was Johnny Carson. They had right on the. They even had the curtains the same color. I was pretty impressed to see him continuing to bring it. You know, at this stage of his career, he he seemed like he didn't phone that in. He really kind of adopted a, a different character. He wasn't just showing up as as raging bull or whatever. He was, you know, he he, he brought a unique little twist to that. I liked it. And he also uh, pulled from reality, like they had the the shooting on the subway. Right. Right. Bernard gets right. That's right. They flipped that around and made it uh, three Wall Street people, and one of them kind of looked like Eric Trump. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I got all of the uh, the allusions that they were making to other movies and things, or to the other um, the story of of Batman. I mean, I guess I started to notice that ah, that's Wayne Enterprises. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, Bruce Wayne is is Batman's real name, and I I, I was just barely putting that together. But the comic book fans, I think, will love that that it kind of ties into old Batman stuff. Like it's yeah, they, they kind of changed the story up. And they, like I said, they, the whole Trump thing, they made the Bruce Wayne's dad kind of a Donald Trump figure. Right, a little bit. And they had the rioting. Right, right. But I'm trying to see where he turns into the Joker. Did yeah. he, in this movie, did he show signs of being that brilliant? That, or what did you think? Well, is is the Joker in in the in the other stories? Is he kind of a genius, uh, or, or you're saying in this in this movie he? Well, in the comic books, I mean, he's he he he's a genius, and he also has you know powers that people follow him, like Harley Quinn. He has a charisma. So okay. towards the end of the movie, they okay kind of resurrected him. I see. Yeah, no, I mean, in, in this in this story in this movie. He doesn't come off as being any kind of mastermind, really. It's just that he happens to resonate with with the uh, the um, you know the the protesters of of the town are ready to get on board with something, and so it just kind of fits. He kind of seems to be the right guy at the right time to inspire everybody. Because I'm trying trying to figure out how that's going to correlate when he actually fights Batman. Uh huh. Yeah, so you think this is going to, is there going to be a sequel type of thing? Well, it's the power, it, it made the most money of any R-rated movie so far. That's right, that's yeah, right, insane. I read that. Yeah, it's doing well. Yeah, so something's bound to happen. I, uh, I saw a little clip of Joaquin Phoenix talking about the movie with Jimmy Kimmel, and they showed, on, on that uh, episode, they showed a little outtake of Joaquin getting all pissed at the cameraman. Uh, apparently talking while he was trying to do his acting thing. And so Joaquin was, it looked like he was literally really embarrassed on Jimmy Kimmel because they showed this. Was clip. that real? What do you think? That he was really embarrassed like that? Yes. You never know with him. I remember, remember that thing he did with Letterman a few years ago. Exactly. Powerful yeah. actor. He's acting all the time. No, you're right. We don't know. Good point. I assumed it was real, but. but Jimmy Kimmel does that a lot. comes off as kind of a dick. Right. So I don't know if that was set up in advance. Right. Right. God, it's a good question. I totally bought it, but I'm glad you're pointing that out. It could have been, could have been staged, even that. It's kind of sad when you get cynical when I see every video. I think, oh, that's set up. Yeah. I like to believe all the reality TV is reality. I just, I just, I assume it's true. Because, I mean, to me, reality is pretty freaking weird in my experience. And so I feel like if we had the camera running uh, right here as we started doing this podcast, that would be weird. It would seem like we staged it, you know? Would I have to button up my shirt or? 
You'd have to put something on. Oh, okay. I mean, this is a little extreme. I mean, this this is not sexy. No is one it? would believe that you're. That. It's like a for a dog to scrub. It's, That's it's not sexy. Not sexy. That's not sexy. Powerful uh, Beverly Hills Cop reference there. Great movie. God, that was good. You know, he's back. I watched uh, Eddie Murphy was in a uh, on Netflix Dolomite. Oh yeah, was it good? It was. It was classic Eddie Murphy. Didn't you tell me that Eddie Murphy actually has 47 children? Did you tell me that? Yes, and apparently he fell for the banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> yeah, I think he's up to 10 kids. Wow. Mm. Powerful. Did you enjoy yourself in the barn today, Dan Simon? Oh, love the barn. Love being here. I want to meet this Johnny Rage character, though. I've heard him. I'm curious. What does he look like? What do you think he looks like? I mean, honestly, honestly, I don't know, but he sounds enormous. Is he a, is he a big man? <laughs> is he? I don't know. You just have to wait. Okay. We'll have to arrange a, a pizza outing. There we go. I mean, he does, obviously, he talks about food. He clearly enjoys food, right? That's one of your yes, main topics. Yes, we, we both enjoy food. Okay. Yeah. I'm a little afraid he's going to kick my ass now. I may have some conflict. Yeah. Conflict. He, yeah. Is he jealous that I'm here and he's gone? Is there I, I think he is. Okay. Sorry, Johnny. We can work it out, though, brother. We can work it out. We'll talk about it. Breaking bread. That always helps, doesn't it? Breaking bread helps. Anything that just helps you realize your common humanity. We all, we all eat. We all breathe. We're all just sitting here. You know, you can feel like somebody's an absolute monster when you're not looking at them. But when you're sitting in the room, you realize, okay, he's a dude. He's doing his best. He kind of screwed with me, but I don't have to be that pissed about it. God bless you, Dan Simon. Once again, what's your website, Dan Simon? Transformativemediation.com. Transformative mediation is all one word. Would love to hear from any of the flock of Amish. You know, I'd really appreciate hearing just getting an email from, from a member of the flock to say they heard this. I appreciate it. Yes, please reach out to Dan Simon. And if you want to reach out to us, AmishBabyMachine.com. And until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else fine podcasts are found. Please support our podcast through Patreon and shop our merch at AmishBabyMachine.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. This has been an Amish Baby Machine production.